Welcome to House Maxing with Butch Zielinski, a podcast designed to help sellers get the maximum value from their home. Butch is a licensed real estate agent in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Results. Now, Butch Zielinski. Hello and welcome to the show. With me, as always, in the studio is a producer here at Minnesota Podcasting, Marshall Saunders. Hi, Butch. How are you? I'm doing well, Marshall. Thank you. Congratulations on your first episode. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Pretty exciting. So the name of this entire podcast is called House Maxing. Yes. Could you explain to me what the concept of house maxing is? Well, house maxing is really, it's really a three-part endeavor. Uh, The first being preparing the property for sale. The second is pricing the property in any particular marketplace, and then presenting that property to the market. The three P's. The three P's. Preparing, pricing, and presenting. Absolutely. So house maxing is maximizing how a house, how it's prepared for sale, how it's priced, and then how it's presented to the world for sale. That's right. And so really maximizing the value of the real estate. And I think the, the very critical first step is preparing the property for sale. And a lot of times sellers... Uh, will overlook or aren't comfortable in dealing with objections that are, from my perspective, fairly obvious. And so what I do is right off the bat, I ask my seller if they're willing to walk through the property and if I'm able to point out some objections, some market objections to them. So house maxing a lot of that is based on you and your philosophy for selling homes. Butch, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in real estate? So I was, um, I was young, 22 years old, and I found myself wanting to buy a house. And so a buddy of mine and I uh, ended up finding a uh, property, a little cottage uh, out in Mound, Minnesota, Lake Minnetonka. That process of buying that property was so exciting and exhilarating that literally within six months, I had my real estate license. You were hooked. I was hooked. It was fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. What about this business fuels you? What, what do you love most about it? I think for me, it's really helping people. It's developing what I've developed over nearly 40 years of meeting people and helping people in this endeavor. Real estate's exciting to me, and it's a huge investment for people. And I've just found that I, it's really been my strong suit to help people maximize their value over time. What areas of uh, the Twin Cities do you mostly concentrate on? You know, it's interesting. Early on, I really cast a wide net. I did a ton uh, of relocating clients you know, whether it be 3M or General Mills or what have you. And so I I went from Orno to Woodbury, uh, you name it, and everything in between. Now I I find myself concentrated largely in and around Minneapolis and First Ring suburbs, St. Louis Park, Golden Valley, um, that sort of thing. So let's go deep on these three Ps, the three-legged stool of kind of how we house max, right? Mm-hmm. So prepping, preparing a house, 
What is involved there? When you sit down with a seller, what do you talk about when you talk about preparing a house? I think, frankly, a lot of sellers are somewhat aware of objections that might be present in their properties, whether it be carpeting, paint color, uh, appliances, uh, you know, dated bathrooms, that sort of thing. And I think having an honest conversation with sellers about the process and just helping to explain that if we handle these objections up front in an honest way, that the marketplace will smile upon them and react very favorably versus not acknowledging these, such as, again, if, if the carpet needs replacing and it's you know blue and green and orange and we replace the carpet, that objection goes away. Maybe we spend a couple thousand on carpet. If a buyer came in there and saw the original carpet, they're going to put a number of five or 6,000 on it. They're always going to double or triple the actual cost of us taking care of the objection ourselves. Should you go about trying to match what the buyer expectations are? For instance, we kind of say, oh, let's put in blue carpet because that's what we think buyers will want now. Is it better to think of what a buyer would like and then guess wrong? Is it better to do that than to do nothing at all and let the buyer decide? Yeah, and so that's a good question, uh, one that I get uh, asked often. And they're like, well, a seller will say, well, you know, well, it, it, the carpet needs replacing and let's just let the buyer do it. Yeah, we'll give them a $2,500 carpet allowance and and then they'll love whatever carpet there is, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that on the face of it um, uh, works, but the reality of the marketplace, when when buyers are looking at properties, they're looking at properties, they're, they're trying to find reasons to not buy the property, frankly, mm-hmm. versus reasons to buy it. So the more objections that we can handle and make go away by neutralizing the property, then buyers can visualize themselves in the property. If we have, you know, off-white walls and we have approachable or light gray walls, um, approachable carpeting, you know, tan, neutral, gray, and we create a neutral palette for a buyer then it's much, much easier for them to visualize themselves in the property. So it might be better to start with something that maybe is not their perfect taste, because obviously we don't know what the perfect taste is of every single buyer, but something that they could go, oh, that's beautiful, it's new, and yeah, it might not be my favorite color, and I might want something better, but at least they start with that kind of base expectation. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, what happens when you create a neutral palette for people, then they can say, oh, well, I can paint, I can paint a wall, an accent wall. I can add, um, you know, rugs. I can add different elements to make it my own. Uh, But just creating a blank uh, canvas for people is is very appealing for buyers. How do you deal with that seller, though, that, and what do you say to the seller who, hey, they painted that themselves and they love that color of green, you know, and and so here you're talking about making uh, the palette more or the canvas more neutral for the potential buyer, and they really love that color. How do you put that to them to say, I think we should change what you love in order to sell your home? Well, first of all, I do acknowledge seller's taste. In other words, uh, it worked well for them, and and there's no judgment around that. 
Um, however, you know, people, whenever you choose, colors evoke emotion, whether it be green or blue or red. or And, and whenever there's a, a color on a wall or color and carpet or something, it just gives buyers a reason again to object. And so what I, how I look at this and explain to the seller is um, you've made this home your own and you've enjoyed it during your time of ownership. And now it's time for us to, if you will, depersonalize the property in order to maximize your value. Sure. I'm sure that's a delicate conversation at times, right? <laughs> well, no, it it is. And I think it's one important thing that I always do upon meeting with a seller is I ask their permission if we can walk through and I can point out some potential objections. And if and if they're not comfortable with it, I understand. And I what when we're walking through, I will once again I'll reiterate, I'm I'm pointing these out as market objections not my objection. So I'm really trying to, I'm attempting to not make it personal because that's not my intent. My intent is, again, to maximize the value of their property. And 95% of sellers are very receptive. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's why they're hiring you, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of personal feelings and they might be kind of personally attached to this or that kind of form of decorating. But still, ultimately, that's why they have you in your, their house. Well, that's right. And, and I think what's interesting, I will tell you, more often than not, once I bring my people in, we repaint, carpet, get it staged, get it all ready to go for the photo shoot, people literally call me and say, we don't want to move now. <laughs> we love this house. We love now. it. <laughs> Seriously. So that happens a lot. And that, you know what? That makes me feel so good because then I know that I've achieved a goal of maximizing their value because it's ready to go. Right. If they love it, they want it. <laughs> they want it. So, yeah. so how deep does this go? I mean, I know we're talking about carpet and we're talking about painting, but let's say it's even on the outside, got some old uh, stucco, it's got uh, old trim, or not even old as far as in bad condition, but kind of dated as far as what people are looking for in homes today, or even that kitchen wall that that walls off a kitchen and a nice open uh, atmosphere would sell better. Do you go even as deep into like structural and and major remodel like that? You know, occasionally I do. What I will say is, uh, for the most part, um, I try to keep it... um, What I've done with uh, removing walls or more major work, that I'll get a bid from a contractor to remove a wall. I'll get a bid to build a garage. I'll get a bid for some concrete work. So then it's at the property, and it's in MLS as a supplement. So... Uh, when people are, when I, when it clearly is going to be an objection to the marketplace, I try to deal with it up front and honestly by getting a bid so they know exactly what it's going to cost or approximately what it's going to cost. And I suppose that has the dual effect also of presenting that to the seller and that the seller might go, oh, well, you know, that's only 15000 and it'll make my house a lot more. I'll just do that. at the get-go. That's right. Yeah. And again, you know, things add up fairly quickly. Oftentimes I bring, when I bring my painter and my contractor and my guys in, my carpet guys, flooring guys, 
we will quickly, that number will be accelerated up to fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars, and so it's a lot of money. But ultimately, if a seller ends up spending this amount of money, typically uh, they'll recapture two to three times the amount that they spend and minimize market time. So let's go on to the second leg of the stool, uh, the the next P, the pricing. And this is so critical, obviously. This is a major piece of selling any uh, good, whether it be a home or anything. And it's always such a non-specific art. It's very difficult to price something exactly because you're predicting what the market wants and and using comparables to reach your price. How do you approach pricing to house max someone's house? Well, I'll tell you, this is, again, a, a, a very critical step. And I find, for me, I will find a comparable property, one or two or three, of like-kind properties. It's so critical that you use like-kind properties. In other words, if you have a Rambler, a one-level, use a Rambler one-level comp. Don't use a split-level. Don't use a two-story. Don't do it. Because the cost per square foot is diluted. It's different in in each scenario given the style of the property. If you have a two-story, use a two-story. If you have a split, use a split. Be very careful uh, because it dilutes numbers, it confuses numbers, and you end up confusing yourself and the seller regarding pricing. I typically don't struggle with pricing, although you know I'm going on 40 years, and I would rather use one or two good comps than five or six erroneous comps. What's most important to you, timing, location, or comparable uh, property. For for instance, I don't have a lot of comps in my neighborhood, so it's always tough to come up with a value. I don't have a lot of two stories. I live in a two story, but my my most valuable comp is now almost a year old. So, will you go with an older comp, but a home that's more uh, appropriate to the the subject property? Or would you go farther away? Or how do you find a comp that you just don't have a similar home right near there? Yeah, no, that's a a very (laughs) good point. I will always err on finding a like-kind property. Even if that comp is a year old, um, we can make adjustments uh, based on the market data about, you know, um, increasing value. Things in this area have gone up 4%. That's right. That's right. You can really make adjustments based on that. But if you just start, you know, choosing... Uh, different style properties just to fill that CMA, it's quite dangerous and I, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I think price per square foot is sometimes an erroneous number to just translate because, boy, if, if someone has 2,000 finished square feet in their basement, that's not equal to 2,000 uh, square feet above ground, but that might go into their per square foot number, right? Yeah, that's right. You need to be really careful when you're pricing to look at, again, like kind. So if you do have above grade square footage of 1,600 square feet and you have three bedrooms and two baths above grade, you want to make sure you find a comp that's appropriate. And if it is a four-bedroom, make adjustments for that and then be pay attention to fit and finishes. Look at the pictures. Call the agents. Really, of the comps that you find, investigate. Make sure you know what you're talking about so uh, you can feel confident in recommending a price 
to the seller. This question goes with anything, preparing, pricing, or presenting, but it seems to come into focus a little bit harsher with pricing. If you have a client that absolutely will not listen to you and wants to price that property much higher than possibly an agent is suggesting, do you say, absolutely not? I will not do this. I just will not uh, uh, put my reputation on the line and so uh, list something that's so out of line with what I suggest as far as pricing? Or will you say, okay, I'll go with that, but we'll give it time and then we'll lower it? What What's your attitude on that? You know, Marshall, I think for me, it's really about the relationship that I have with the seller and their personality. And so for me, uh, this is a partnership, you know, uh, going into selling a property for a seller, acting on their behalf, uh, really um, helping them to maximize their value. If there's a tug of war going into it, I would have a conversation, a really honest conversation about what's going on when we're both looking at the same data and arriving at a different conclusion, then that can just be a warning sign of things to come. So mm-hmm. I I kind of nip that in the bud. And if they want to push it to some degree, you know, maybe I'm recommending $399 and they want to do $419. I might agree with that, sure. but then I'll give it a time frame. I'll say, okay, if we don't have any second showings or offers within a week or five showings, we're dropping it to $399. And if I don't have that cooperation or commitment from them, then that's a whole nother conversation we're going to have to have. Sure. Now let's go on to presenting. That's the final P. Mm-hmm. And so now here is where you've prepared the property. You've had the discussion regarding pricing and you've come up with something that you all agree on. And now you have to kind of share it with the world. Uh, what are your thoughts on presenting? I don't want to overemphasize any of these points because I think they're you know equally important there are a number of elements that go into presenting a property. And that is, again, if you're carpeting and painting and, and getting things all spiffed up, that um, it needs to be properly staged, um, whether it be with the client's furniture, the seller's current furniture, or in some cases, I actually ask my sellers to move out. And then I bring a stager in or... Sometimes I don't bring a stager in. It just depends upon the property and how it shows. I had um, I had a condo, uh, a wonderful doctor at the U of M, and she called, and uh, she had a beautiful condo overlooking Gold Medal Park. So I walked in and I said, "Oh, I need for you, I need, I'm going to need for you to move out." And she said, "I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I am totally okay with that." And so she moved out, and we I brought a stager in. And I sold the property in one day uh, within spitting distance of asking price cash. Wow. And, and so, and sometimes it's fine they stay, of course, but I want to put their best foot forward. And so to that end, again, I ask their permission gently, but um, they are, again, entrusting me and paying me a lot of money to give them sound advice. So in that situation, did the person take their their furniture with them, and then you filled it in with staged furniture? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you had total control over how people, and I'm sure you did some painting, I'm sure you did some prepping. Yep. You had total control in that situation over how the buyer was seeing this property. Absolutely. One important element of this is 
make sure that it is staged or, you know, nicely furnished and sparsely furnished. And again, when in doubt, take it out is what I always tell a, a seller. Lastly, though, it's critical to get professional photographers in there. As I'm viewing properties on the MLS to show, I am really appalled at some of the photos that I see. I don't care if it's a two ninety nine or a two million. Spend the money and bring in a professional photographer to represent your your seller well and respectfully and responsibly. It's an odd industry, isn't it? Real <laughs> estate. It's really an odd industry. You know, all you have to do is go out and and pass the test, not saying that that's so little, but it is not a super difficult process to get your license. That's right. Many, many brokerages, not all of them, but many brokerages will pretty much hire anyone with a license and you can start there. And so those are the people that are vying for those same clients. That's right. And there are people that uh, seem to act in in a way that's not in the best interest of their clients. And it might not be because they are purposely doing anything wrong, but because they just don't know. That's exactly right. It's quite disconcerting for me, especially having developed a reputation and a skill set to really help people. And again, to your point, you know, agents, they mean well. But it needs to be a full meal deal. We, you know, we as an industry, I find the last decade or so, it's so interesting. So many agents depend on feedback, you know, instant feedback, and they're calling for feedback. What do you think? What is your buyers? What do your buyers think? And I find that quite off-putting and disturbing in as much as you're the agent, you're the listing agent. And you need to know. And so if I show your property and I don't call you with questions or I don't schedule a second showing, there's your feedback. That's feedback right there. (laughs) Not calling you back and not sending you an offer or, for that matter, sending you an offer. Those are the most valuable pieces of feedback you need. Indeed. Yes. (laughs) Whether Whether that paint color in the bathroom is good or bad is really irrelevant. And don't you feel listing agents are using feedback as a crutch to talk to their sellers? Well, there's no question. Like they can't have that discussion with their seller. So therefore, look at what they said. They said that you should paint the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a slippery slope. And and it's a slippery slope because um, the listing agent loses credibility and the agents who are you're pestering for feedback for your listing, the sellers get frustrated because you've told them you're going to seek feedback in every showing, which is largely irrelevant. So it, it becomes this cat and mouse game mm-hmm. and then frustration. And then a lot of times it leads to listing agents losing the listing because the sellers don't have confidence in them, which rightly so. Expectations. Laying out those expectations to a seller of, okay, here's what you should expect from feedback. And here's what, you know, you should expect from open houses. Here's what you should expect from this process. Absolutely. Because I think so often people walk away from the real estate experience, thus besmirching an entire industry with such bad feelings. And it 
it, nothing really bad happened, but it was just a huge difference between what they expected to happen and what actually happened. That's exactly right. And setting realistic expectations comes with experience. And so it's kind of a catch-22, but if you literally need help, ask for help from an experienced agent. Ask for some mentoring. Ask for help. Just don't do things in a vacuum, because then what happens is our whole industry suffers because of that. Well, thank you, Butch, for a great first episode. Thanks, Marshall. It's been a pleasure. This has been House Maxing with Butch Zielinski, a podcast designed to help sellers get the maximum value from their home. Butch is a licensed real estate agent in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Results. You can find him online at butchzielinski.com. And Zielinski is spelled Z-E-L-I-N-S-K-Y. If you'd like to share a comment or question on an upcoming podcast, call 612-352-9177. Again, that's 612-352-9177. Make sure to tell us to which show you are calling to contribute. And please know that we may include your voice recording in future episodes of this podcast. House Maxing is produced by Minnesota Podcasting and recorded in their St. Paul studios. And they can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individual participants and may not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Remax Results or Minnesota Podcasting.